Hey, it's me, Sam. This is my podcast. You're listening to Thanks. Um, okay. Gosh, if I was prepared, I would know which episode it was that we recorded this. Uh, I'm starting this out on a really good foot. So, a few episodes ago... Oh, I almost, I almost got it. I almost got it. A few episodes ago, episode 43, posted on December 19th of 2018. Why did I... I'm sure right, right before oh. do what? 43. Yeah. Episode 43. That's good. I know. I'm almost, uh, I'm at, I just posted episode 40, 47 the other day. Keep it up with it. Sure. That's I got great. about, I got Sorry. about, I got about 12 listeners, so I'm keeping them entertained. <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, yeah, 43, and, um, now here's the thing that's annoying. Uh-oh, hold on. All right, we're having some technical difficulties. Essentially, what's going on is I've got Jill here on Skype, and, uh, so we're trying to work it, work it out. Now, I say it's, okay, here's the situation. I say it's episode 43, but in reality, I accidentally made two episode 42s. So, <laughs> technically, I guess it's 44. I don't know. But my problem is, and then I also made two episode 43s. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't count or something. I, there's also, no, no, no. The problem is, I could correct it. Like, I'm not an idiot. I could go back in there and fix the numbers. But if I do that, you're going to get a notification. Like, every any anybody, the, the 50 people who are subscribed are going to get 25 notifications as I'm updating those numbers. So, I'm sparing. I'm, I'm deciding not to do that. I might email CastBox, though, and see if they can help me out. But... Anyway, so the title of that episode was uh, Why I Can't Say Congratulations, and what I promised in that episode that I'm delivering today, Jill's delivering, I'm not doing anything, um, is that I was going to record a follow-up episode with Jill so that we could lay out some more specific um, information about, I talked about in that episode, if you didn't get a chance to listen, you pr- I don't like to do this, like stack episodes on each other, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, in this situation, you probably need to, would be good just to have some context to go back and listen to that episode um, before listening to this one, just to have a, con- I mean, not that it's like ground shaking or anything, but just to have a context of, sorry, I know that y'all don't feel these pauses, I've said this before, but I just had to pause for a second to say goodnight to my oldest son, who has had way too much homework every night, and so he's just not getting to bed, it's 9.43, it's insane, um, okay, so Jill's here, and so, so the whole point of that episode was essentially talking about how, um, I find myself having a really difficult time saying congratulations when I see uh, couples that are um, celebrating uh, moving in together or celebrating getting engaged after they've been living together. And essentially, um, you know, when I see couples that are celebrating, uh, kind of doing things out of order when it comes to, you know, what God's plan is for relationships and then talked about how... Um, I had uh, a mentor of mine that confronted the idea of, uh, you know, my sin and how that, you know, could affect my future and my children's future. And so we talked, I talked about that a little bit. And then um, also talked about how, you know, I really believe that, you know, that God is not going to turn his head to sin. And so, you know, what does that look like when it comes to relationships and trying to live, um, you know, play out your relationships in a way that honors God. So Jill's here. I'm going to turn it over to her because I'll just, you know, I'll just keep rambling. But uh, she is going to, we're going to start out. She's going to talk about kind of some, how do you want to say it? Like some backstory about rules and kind of explain, you know, how the Bible lays out rules 
and then um, and then use that as like kind of a foundation so that you have a good hand on, you know, where what are rules and how does it define Christianity and uh, and and what should we, um, you know, how do we? Okay, I'm gonna let you say it because I think you said it. I I I don't have any words. I'm tired, so <laughs> turn it over to you. All right, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, here's the deal. I feel like... Okay. Sorry, technical stuff. Mm-hmm. This always happens. It's stressful. Like, just... I know. I was telling her. I said um, the same so, thing. Sh- anyway. Sh- Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so here's the deal with rules. I feel like as Christians and most, I don't know anybody who would disagree. Our reputation is that we are more known for what we're against than what we're for. Right. Mm-hmm. We're against this or that, or yeah, it's very rule based. And the truth is there are. All right, y'all for real this time. We're, we're really, this is what happens when you got to do a one take. <laughs> we're trying to work through these technical issues. I think we're settled now. So here we go. Jill, go for it. Okay. So the, the truth is there are rules. Um, so to kind of, to kind of say, you know, there are no rules for us as Christians is not truth. The problem is there are, there's always this tension between Old Testament Christianity and New Testament Christianity and the rules that were set a long time ago as opposed to the rules that came after Jesus came. Okay. Okay, sorry. So without getting to into this huge in-depth thing and if you want to learn some basic biblical truth there is a kid called what's in the bible with buck denver and we watch it as a really crazy puppets but they go book by book and explain just book by book um kind of what each book in the bible is about and it's great what is it? Uh, so one can of the you, things that we learned as a family what? is the difference between ritual laws and moral laws. Okay. So the ritual laws, like there's this whole book in the Bible called Leviticus and Leviticus is rule after rule. And some of them are like really crazy. How to wear your hair, how, what to eat, what not to do, uh, when to have sex, I mean, like, crazy things. And so people are always caught up, and I get questions all the time, well, what do I do with these rules? What do I do with these laws? And then the laws that we hear every day, like, um, like don't have sex before you get married. Well, there's those things were the ritual laws set up just for the, the children of Israel. And so when Jesus came and he set up these new laws – those fell by the wayside and were were only appropriate for the children of Israel. So, if there is a rule that we need to follow, we'll be able to see it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And what's cool about what Jesus did is there's a lot of the rules that he took and said, it used to be said like this, but I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. I'm going to push you a little bit. I'm going to see if the obedience that you have behind me is important enough for you to follow and obey me. Okay. okay. Can you hear me? So the only- Jill, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just, I, I didn't want to talk over you. Can you, the uh, other day when we were talking, can like, I think you gave the example of in the old Testament, it talks about, you know, not do not murder in the 10 commandment. And then in the new Testament, can you, exp- can you give that as an example to, of, of what you're saying as far as the rules being in both parts of the Bible and how in the when Jesus talks about them and that he ex, he 
kind of asks for even more than what the um, than what the in the, it's in the right. Old Testament. Yeah. So, for example, like the adult, the the Old Testament, you know, in the Ten Commandments, it says, "Do not commit adultery." And then Jesus says, "You have heard it said, do not commit adultery." But, but I tell you that even if you look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery. So it's one step further. It's not just like don't have sex with another man's wife. It's you know take it a step further, have some self control. Pull it together because even in that lustful look, you've committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus took that Old Testament moral law, and moral laws are the things that we still obey today. Those are the things that are that make sense. Most people are not murderers. Most people are are not you know stealing people's anything. I mean, some people do, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Those are the moral laws that, as a culture, we would say. Are a no no go. Right. Make sense? Yeah. So where do you think, and this may be jumping ahead, if it is, just tell me to shut up and we'll get back to it, but where do you think that, where have we as Christians missed the boat to where, you know, we have a major problem with stealing or a major problem with murdering someone, but, you know, which would, like you said, is included in these moral laws, but yet when it comes to premarital sex or living together, things, you know, those things that there's justifications and those things are not, there's not as much, I don't know, guilt or strict or, or why is there so much more wiggle room in those areas than what there is in some of the others. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't know the for sure answer, but my first thought is we're, we're going to do, we're, we're going to do what we want to do. Right. I don't want to murder somebody, <laughs> but sleeping with my boyfriend before we married sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've, we've decided we're going to cherry pick and we're going to decide which of, which of God's laws and God's rules and moral codes are important to us. And we're going to follow those and not really thinking that there's, and I think it goes back to, we, we don't really think there's a consequence. Our culture in our culture, we live for ourselves and for today and biblical culture was set up where we didn't live for ourselves. We live for the next generation and the generation after that. And there was this, huge understanding that the choices that I make today will affect me tomorrow and my kids down the road. Um, we don't teach that. We don't know that in our culture. We live for today and we seize the day and we make the most of today, not realizing that the decisions that we make today will affect the rest of our lives. I mean, let's look at the governor of Virginia who wore blackface 30 years ago, yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. And so today he's, go- he, he might lose his job. I mean, yep. yeah, we need to start paying attention to the choices that we're making and realizing that they affect us for a lifetime and beyond and not just the instant gratification of, of our relationship today. So that's a good, good time. I mean, this is a good time to kind of bring up, you know, I, I didn't, I posted that episode. I felt um, really nervous about kind of what my the reaction would be, and uh, I, you know, I actually I sent it out to a few people to listen to beforehand, and got some feedback that way. And one of the the one of the um, people that I got um, feedback from, you know, had a issue with. Um, I mentioned in that recording that a mentor of mine had. Um, essentially told me that some of the difficulties that I was having could very well be um, a consequence of my previous sin and my previous marriage. And so explain this, I guess, and maybe give me your thoughts on she, her whole stance was, um, you know, what's the point of forgiveness? What's the point of God's grace? If you could potentially always have hanging over your head, uh, consequences for future generations or, you know, if, if the, if God truly forgives us, 
then how can we say that things that happen in our life maybe are, you know, bad things or hard things maybe are a result of our sin, you know, that she didn't, and I can, I get that. Like it is kind of a, it is kind of a conflictual idea. Like we say that God forgives our sins, but then we also say that he could punish us for our sins down the road or there could be consequences for our sins down the road. And so partnering those two ideas, I think is really kind of hard to put your head around. But so what, I mean, what do you, I know you just kind of briefly touched yeah. on it, but where do you stand on that? Well, I definitely think we need to learn to separate the concept of punishment from consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that I, I live under a God who's graceful and forgiving and loving, but there's still a consequence when I screw up. Just like, just like our kids, you know, I can have a child that chooses to disobey me and and I say your consequence for this is that you can't go spend the night with Mason tonight and he comes back and asks for my forgiveness and he gets it but there's still the consequence of his choice right yes I don't then withdraw the consequence oh I forgive you and now you may go to Mason's I mean that's ridiculous right mm-hmm. there's he still has to kind of pay for whatever it is that he did he has to serve his consequence for that And that is kind of how this works, I think. You know, again, I'm not God, and I could have this totally wrong. But what makes sense to me is that God is loving and has forgiven us, but our choices still bring about a consequence. And and for us, again, because we don't want to take responsibility necessarily for our actions, to then think that there could be consequence for our children – is absurd, right? Mm-hmm. Why would that happen? Um, but as I look through scripture and for instance, in right in the middle of the 10 commandments in Exodus 20, and it says, don't make an idol of any kind. Can't bow down to them. It says, for I'm the Lord, your God, am a jealous God that won't tolerate your affection for any other God. I lay down the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. So, I mean, that's pretty clear to me. Follow me or your children will pay for that. Not only your children, but you will. Mm -hmm. You will pay and then your children will pay. And then it says, but I lavish my unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. And to me, it comes down to like, is it worth it to follow Jesus, knowing that my children and my children's children and those and those and those for a thousand generations will get the lavish love of Jesus? Am I willing to not think about myself in this, you know, short time period of 70 years in order to make sure that my kids are set up? and have this great relationship with the Lord. And to me, it's, it's like a no-brainer in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can look at it and say, this doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem right. But the truth is, we use it in secular context all the time. If someone has an alcoholic parent, what do we say? Oh, I have a predisposition to alcoholism in my family. I have to be careful. Um, drinking is not smart for me because my parents were alcoholics. Well, that's a generational sin, right? Mm-hmm. They felt to this alcoholism that's then passed down to you. We don't call it generational sin, but that's essentially what's happening. Um, you know, we see it all the time too. Parents who struggle with pornography will have kids that struggle with pornography. Even if you decide not to tell them, um, I had this, I lead um, a post-abortion small group and I went to this training one time And this lady was saying, yeah, for years and years and years, I hid that I'd had, I I think she'd probably had several abortions, but I'd hid them from my family because I didn't want my kids to know that that was a choice that I'd made. But when I finally came out and told my children, I discovered that my daughter, my mother, my sister, and my daughter-in-law had all had abortions. Wow. And that to me was like so powerful. We try to keep this stuff hidden and secret. But the truth is sin is sin and it will it will carry on. Yeah. Next generation even if if we think we're keeping it hidden. Um yeah. So what do you say? I mean if you're picking that 
verse. I mean, I know there's more than just that one verse, but I mean, if you're choosing that verse to kind of mount your argument on about generational sin, how do you like, how do you argue the fact that that's in the old Testament? So it doesn't apply to us today. You know, how do you carry that over when that argument comes up? I think because these, the 10 commandments are, are moral laws that apply to everybody even today. Um, if it was like, don't cut your hair on the seventh day of the third month in the, you know, <laughs> or <laughs> don't have more than two piercings on the left side of your body. Like one of the kind of ritual laws, I can make an argument for it, but because it's in the middle of these rules that most people, even non-Christians would agree apply to today. Um, let's not, you know, have, let's not make an idol. Let's not have, uh, let's not murder. Let's not, you know, these, these laws still apply to us today. And so I think that's, that's what I'm going to, you know, that's what I would say to that. And I think that talking about generation is difficult, generational sin, because we have to then be accountable for our sin. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to do that. We don't, you know, that's this whole topic, right? right. Is we don't want to be accountable to our sin and the decisions that we made. Um, we, we were just talking some friends last weekend or the weekend before, and I grew up in a very legalistic kind of environment um, in church. I, and not on purpose. I think they were doing the best that they could. I think most people are. But I grew up you know, following the rules, you don't dance, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't have sex, you don't date guys who do, you know, that whole concept. And so because of that, I raised my kids to like, know this graceful, loving, forgiving God. And I feel like one day my kids are going to have to then struggle on the other side where they're going to realize God is a God of that has set rules for us mm -hmm. for our own good and for our own blessing. And he does hate the sin that we have. Whereas I was trying to get away from those rules and those laws and understand this loving, graceful God. I've taught my kids only about a loving, graceful God and not that there are sins you have to be accountable for. So, yeah. you know, that pendulum swings both ways. And we have to realize that we have a God that's the lion and the lamb, that he has yes. rules and he has mm -hmm. grace and they're not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. um, he's able to, to give us both of them simultaneously. And we don't understand that because we as humans don't do that, right? We are one or the other. We either lay down the law or we live in grace. We're not able to do both of them together because we're human. So to understand that God can do both of them, that he can absolutely set laws and rules for us, for our blessing, and that he can also gracefully, lovingly forgive us, doesn't make sense to our human minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I kind of was in the same situation in my church, and I definitely grew up that way. Of, I, And I think the church in general has kind of set, set people up to be confused because there was this era of fire and brimstone, you know, choose choose Jesus and choose heaven and or you'll be in hell. And then, you know, it was just this uh, God with a... <laughs> with a gavel kind of attitude, like, you know, the judge and, and real intense, I guess. And then there's all these, I am a friend of God. That kind of crap started. <laughs> he calls me friend. Like all this real, uh, cheesy stuff. Anyway, so it broke up. We broke up a little bit. And unfortunately, Jill, she's going to have to re-listen to the episode because she missed my, my singing rendition of I Am a Friend of God. Um, yeah, you're going to have to catch that later. But I guess that's where, I'm, like you were saying, I think the church has kind of set people up to be really confused because there was this huge shift of, uh, you know, you don't have to be afraid. God loves you. There's grace and forgiveness and... Um, and so, yeah, I can see, I don't know what I'm teaching my kids. I think a little bit of both. Cause when you said that, like you can't be graceful and, uh, what'd you say? Graceful and judgmental at the same time or something. Yep. And I was like, yeah. the hell you can't. You ever met a single mom all day long? <laughs> <laughs> that's what? a, that's a story of my life. <laughs> like I'm literally screaming like a maniac and then like hugging a one year old two seconds later. No. Oh yeah. 
sure. No, I know what you mean, though. But <clears throat> okay, so yeah, so I think we have to really, uh, you know, we have to, like you said, God is is both the lion and the lamb, and so we have to really, um, and you know, under, under we have to really accept and acknowledge both both sides, both characteristics, and know and what I'll that say, looks like. Myself personally, with generational sin, when right before Heath and I got married a hundred years ago, we were in a church, and the pastor began to kind of teach on this. And this was completely foreign to both of us; we'd never heard of such a thing, and I didn't really get it. But we were about to get married, and so we decided to start praying through like some generational sin, kind of asking the Lord to show us the things in our lives that we felt like had been passed down, and. To be really honest, like, it's really easy to come up with the ones from each side of the family. Oh, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, like, those came pretty quickly. They were pretty obvious. He, dad had just left his mom, and, you know, there was things like pornography and adultery and abuse and some things that were super glaring, and we would, we then took them to the Lord, and we're like, this sin stops with us. Like, from here on out, this sin stops with us, and feeling very confident that like if our children fall into this sin it is not because of us like the lord kind of cut that root off mm-hmm. for our family and so i started to kind of pray through my family stuff and i could see things like you know like racism and um passive aggressive manipulation like some little things like that and you know, we would pray through those and but i had a lady across the street say to me Jill, you're adopted, right? And I said, well, yeah. And she said, well, you have generational sin from your family. Like, you were born out of sin. Mm-hmm. And I, girl, I was pissed. Yeah. I was really angry. Like, I'm like, I don't even know them. Right. I'm not responsible for their sin. Like, how am I going to have sins from two families? That's not right. Like, <laughs> it's not fair. And I, pissed. I was so mad. And, but I began to kind of ask the Lord, like, okay, so what does this look like? What am I bringing into from this family that I've never met? And he started to reveal things to me, like, um, like if I was pregnant and I didn't want anybody to know, there would be deception and there would be lying and there would be manipulation and there would be deceit and there would be hidden dark places. And I just was like, oh, my gosh, like I could see it. Mm-hmm. I could see it in my life. And I was like, oh, my gosh oh my gosh and so I began to pray through that and I will say that's what you know when my kids lie that comes up like oh my gosh maybe I didn't cut that off maybe they are getting that from me and Mm. you know I don't I don't want them to get that from me and the truth is all kids are gonna lie at some point I just have to pull it together about it but um but yeah so so coming face to face with that and realizing that there's stuff unintentionally or intentionally that you are passed down from your family. It just is what it is. But I have the ability to say, not on my watch. Right. The last generation of Forbes men that will struggle with pornography stops with Heath. It's not happening again. And, you know, just really hammering. And because of that, my kids are like, do we ever get to watch the internet? No, you're never, never going on a computer ever. (laughs) No internets for you, folks. <laughs> right. So sorry. You have to handwrite all of your papers yes. for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so just being able to come face-to-face with that in my own life and realizing, like it or not, there's stuff that we're handed down. And we can call it a predisposition. We can call it whatever we want. Yeah. But it's sin, and we just have to get rid of it. We have to ask the Lord to just take it away. Yeah. So the reason that we want, I know this maybe seems kind of out of, like, maybe it's like, well, how does this even fit? Or why are you talking so much about generational sin or, you know, things like that before, you know, when the, the whole pre, the whole episode that we're like rehashing was about relationships and God's plan for relationships is because I think at least when, when we, you and I, Jill started talking about this. The reason, one of the reasons I wanted you to really hash on this topic was because I think that this is a really, really strong motivation to, you know, 
without, for lack of better words, do, do it the right way. And uh-huh. I think that having a good understanding of where God stands on this topic can, can lead us to saying, okay, if I believe that and I know what God says about how this could affect my children and my children in generations to generations, I want to make a decision from the beginning to do things the right way so that it plays out with blessing for the rest of my, you know, down the line. So yeah, it's like a practical thing too. Like nobody wants to sit in front of their 10 year old and be like, mom and dad had a lot of sex before they got married. Like nobody wants to have that conversation. Yeah. Nobody wants to be able to like, even a couple years ago, he took our oldest for a guy's weekend and laid out a lot of stuff. And, you know, and he just said, dad, did you have sex before you got married? And he was like, I did. And I, I wish that I had a different story to tell you. I wish that I could. And then get this. He says, what about mom? Well, that's her story. She'll have to tell you. I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> like I look like a big fat hoe. Like you could have said, it's like, no, she didn't, but it's her story. No, and said, well, you'll have, you'll have to find out from her. <laughs> so now he's made his own assumptions. Right, he's made a, it all up in his head, never uh, asked me. So as a 12-year-old boy, the chances of him That's asking right. you that question are pretty yeah. slim, I'm guessing. Great, my mom. <laughs> mm, yeah. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, all that to say, like, it's an uncomfortable conversation anyway, and if you want to live in truth in front of your children, to be able to say, yeah, these are the choices we made, and I wish they were different, or to be able to just say to them, no, these we actually, the Lord was gracious to us and walked us through this and we had accountability and were able to, to do things the way that God wanted for us and he blessed it because of it. Mm-hmm. So let's yeah. get into that. So let's yeah. segue. That's a good segue. I don't know if you planned that or not, but it was nice. <laughs> um, so when talking about, uh, you know, what is God's plan then for a relationship? Like, are we holding hands are we Bob Jones University walking on different sidewalks? What are we doing? Are we ever hold, like my cousin and his wife, their first kiss was at the altar. I have another friend who was the same way, never kissed, never held hands at all before they were married. And then, I mean, that's one end of the spectrum. And then I think it swings, you know, obviously very far on the other end. So what, what are we doing? What, as Christians, you know, if you have a relationship, you claim a relationship with Christ, what, what are we doing? Uh, we're walking on opposite sides of the road. Yes. <laughs> I do that anyway, so that's okay. That's okay for me. I see a guy, a man coming towards me. I'm like, uh-uh, get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, that's, I just feel like I just went back to seventh grade youth group for a second. <laughs> How far is too far? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, so... This is what I know. Um, I don't know what I know. But in First Thessalonians 4, it says, just plain as day, 4-3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So, you know, theologians can debate what actual, what sexual immorality means. Some people say sexual immorality is like just having, um, having sex with, you know, as long as you're in a committed relationship, it's fine. And so I tend to believe in my study that sexual immorality means pretending to do, to, to act as a married couple without being married. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's kind of my, the definition that I've learned to adopt in this is, and that's on so many levels. That is not just sex mm-hmm. in my head. I'm, obviously, this is talking about sexual immorality, but we could get into a whole lot of things that I think non-married couples do that they don't need to do until they get married, like sharing money and, I mean, living together. You know, there's several things. I think that 
and I love Jesus and my whole growing up, I'm like, I just want a man that prays with me. But I tend to feel like even praying together gets really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these and my best makeout sessions happen after we pray together. Yeah, so I, I, even that's a slippery slope because, because the enemy sees something good happen and he wants to tear it down. Um, so I do think there's a lot of things aside from the sexual immorality part of it that non-married couples do that they should be very careful about. Um, but all that to say, avoid, and I love this because it says it is God's will. And for any of us who are the believers are like, I just want to know God's will for my life. There's not many places where it spells it out. Yes. So if it says this is my will, then it's something like there should be a red flag. Like, oh, I should pay attention to this. Yes, absolutely. What is God's will for my life? That I should be sexual, sexual that I should stay away from sexual immorality. Um, yeah, what was the question? No, I think that's really good because I, I remember like through my teenage years and um, I think it was probably my first couple, my first year or two at Cedarville in college before then, it was always like God's will was like this mystical unicorn in the sky. Like you can never really find it. It's always really hazy. And I had a a, a guy that I was dating who told me that um, God had told him that it wasn't his will for he and I to be dating anymore. And I was like, that's weird because I didn't get that message. So is it God's will for me to not date you or what do we do? <laughs> and, you know, I have later found out that like... You know, that was like a thing. And like, you just, if you don't want to do something, you just say you don't think it's God's will or you say it is God's will if you want to do it. And then I heard at one point, uh, you know, essentially it's not this mystical idea. It is, you know, in this verse, it's like you said, it specifically says this is God's will. But even if it doesn't, even if it did not, you know, God's will is free to live a life that honors him and then everything else follows. And so if you can, if you take a step, if you make a decision, if you choose something, if you do something and you say, I don't know if this is God's will or not. Well, are you following God? Are you in relationship with God? Are you in your Bible? Are you praying? Are you maintaining intimacy in your relationship with God? Well, then you have to, then you can pretty well be confident that it's God's will. I mean, this right. in this specific verse, though, I think you're right. Like, there's no question. You don't have to question and say, is this God's will or not for me to have sex with my boyfriend? We're planning on getting married, so it seems like it's okay. No, no, no. Like, it's very clear. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. Like, as we need rules, we need very – there's so much fluid, like – yeah, like loosey goosey on on things, and I think to, for this to be a very clear cut, this is what it is. Like this is if you if you claim Christ, if you claim claim your faith, then this is what God's will is for a relationship. Period. Like there's no the way- part. Yeah, I totally agree. The part that gets hairy and that's the gray area in all this is the next part that says learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. And this is where conviction comes into place. What does holy and honorable look like for you and your boyfriend might look different for you and your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So cousin who waited to kiss until the altar, awesome. Yeah. But that might be different for this couple over here. Is it any less holy and honorable? Not necessarily. But those are the parts where the conviction comes into play. Like, we got it. No sex. Okay, perfect. Well, then what does that mean? You know, just like you said, are we walking on the same side of the street? Are we kissing? Are we not kissing? Are we holding hands? There's 500 ways to interpret this from there on. And where I think the church goes wrong is we've drawn a line in the sand instead of us teaching our children to live a life of purity all the way around, like clean thoughts and clean behavior and, and thinking well of your neighbor and holding someone else better than yourself and realizing that when my son gets his first girlfriend, he's not dating a girl, but he's holding her heart. Mm -hmm. Like that's a big deal. You have a responsibility to make sure that, if your relationship with her ends, that she's whole when she comes out of it, you know, how do I teach 
purity as opposed to just don't have sex. And that's, that's where the church is kind of, has let us down and not their fault. Like they, you know, they're trying to follow this rule. Mm-hmm. Okay. Avoid sexual morality. Okay. So don't have sex. But what does that mean? We dangle our toes over the edge. We, we have, you know, just oral sex count. Like what, what does all that mean? And so just learning to live a life that's honorable to the Lord. And, and he'll tell you, if you want to know, he'll tell you where to stop. He'll tell you where the, I mean, listen, I was I was the virgin white bride of Christ before I started dating Heath Forbes, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> things began to happen that before was no big deal to say no to, and so but but there is a Jesus, there's a Holy Spirit, it's like eh, eh, that's mm-hmm. too far, and I knew it, I knew it because His Word also says there's no temptation before you that He doesn't give you a way out of. Yeah, so. If this is an action that you're not supposed to be partaking in, which could be kissing, which could be holding hands, and it, because if it's the wrong person, you don't need to be doing any of it. Like, run. Um, he'll let you know. He'll give you a way out. He'll give you a warning sign. Your roommate will drive up the, the driveway. I mean, all those things, you know, mm-hmm. happen so that the Lord can say, just that, uh, you need to reset this, you know, back this up because... Um, this is more than I want for your life. And, you know, just just to clarify, too, that, you know, we say this all the time with our kids. Like, we give you rules to keep you safe. Um, and I want to be really careful with that because I don't think the rules always keep us safe. Because I can look back and go, oh, well, that didn't go well. Listen, I got married and I was a virgin. But in my first pregnancy, found out I had hepatitis B. Where does that come from? That's a sexually transmitted disease. That's a drug, you know. Mm-hmm. I have a birth, probably screwed that up for me, honestly. But so so I followed the rules. Why wasn't I kept safe from that? Yeah. Because the rule wasn't there for my safety. It was there for my blessing. Um, the Lord blessed my marriage and has blessed our marriage and our physical relationship because of the choices we tried hard to try hard to stick to and didn't always get it but again that's where the grace comes in right yeah um so it's not always going to be peachy keen it's not going to be like a checked box it's not going to be perfect but there will be blessing in it if you allow yourself to just kind of listen to him and and again not like some super spiritual voice from heaven which it could be but more of like a feeling inside of you this is not right Mm -hmm. um Heath and I do a lot of premarital stuff. In fact, we just last week started, or last Monday, started a new premarital group. We help facilitate this. I think this go-around, we have about 24 couples in our premarital group. And um, this week was a sex week. I actually missed it. <laughs> um, but just to be in a room with all these people and, and most of them are living together. And this is through our church. Most of them are living together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I all of a sudden cannot remember what I was going to say about this. We were talking about, oh, shoot. What was I saying? Uh, maybe we're going to talk about grace. Maybe. I can. I shoot. got distracted, too, because I have a follow-up question. And so I was trying to remember <laughs> it before you, when you threw and you stopped talking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh man! Isn't that like the, one of the worst things you could do is start thinking about questions while the other person is talking? I'm not no. an active listener. Sorry. No. Um, no, but what I was going to say was, you know, obviously you just said that even in the church, you're counseling young couples. I mean, a lot of them live together. You know, when Eric and I, my second husband, when he and I um, were dating and when our relationship was... Um, getting, you know, becoming more serious, he, his first question to me was not, would I marry him? His first question was, would I move in with him? You know, could we live together? And, um, hindsight, to be honest, I mean, my response to him was, I don't live with any man that I'm not married to. That's, that was my response. But part of me is like, damn, if I would have lived with him, I definitely wouldn't have married him. (laughs) Right. And saved myself a lot. So I really see, both sides of that coin because I 100% if I would have lived with him I would not have married him I would have saved myself you know 
eight, well, I mean, really a lifetime. We have a daughter together. Like, it's going to be a lifetime of dealing with his crazy. And bless his heart, pray for him. I pray for him. We, I don't want to talk bad about him. I'm, I, I'm sorry. But, um, so what, so I want to just close up with those, those few things. When we're living in a society where that is the next step, like, that's an, and it's almost become like, that's a, that's the natural next step. You're dating, you're getting more serious. So let's live together and see how it goes. And then maybe we have, maybe we actually, we actually end up having a child and then maybe we decide that we enjoy living together. And so now we're going to get engaged and then eventually we're going to get married. So when that's so common in the church and out of the church, how do you, I mean, what's the... What's the fight? What's the argument against that? When that's such a, I mean, there's a good argument for it. I mean, and then even on, for me personally, I have, I can, I can almost get behind it because I would have saved me a lot of crap, but you know, where, what's the argument against that? Okay. So first the divorce rate is higher for people who live together before they're married. Okay. Higher. Which means it's okay. over at least over 50% because that's the average divorce rate. Right. Right. So, which is a crazy, I don't know the exact, I'd have to look that up, but that is insane to me. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is the Bible says, and a man shall leave his wife and the two shall become one. And I can't explain it, but something happens when you get married. When you become one, that completely changes the dynamic of your relationship, and it is different than when you were just living together. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you we have had couple after couple after couple have said to us, we did not believe you. Mm -hmm. We didn't. We didn't believe you. And they have come back to us and said, you are so freaking right. Yeah. It's completely different that the oneness that happens when you step into a covenant relationship before Jesus and it changes the dynamic of your relationship. And I do think that's why the divorce rate is higher because it feels like bait and switch, like what happened and now you're different and, and you want things from me that you didn't want before and you want, because you're one. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and there are things as a married woman, I should expect from my husband that I didn't when you were just my fiance or just my boyfriend. And and I do think that it throws it throws couples off, but there is a oneness and a completeness and just the difference that happens when people get married that was not there before and they don't and, and we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um and it's nothing that we can ever explain, ever. Because yeah. it's Jesus. Yeah. So we don't want to be downers. I don't want to be. I know Jill don't want to no. be either. So what no. are we just to, to close this out, if you're listening and you're thinking, great, I'm living with my boyfriend. And so that means the entire next 20 generations of my family are screwed. Awesome. <laughs> or if you're like, you know, feeling, uh, you know, convicted or angry or whatever your feelings are, or if you feel like, you know, I can say this, I, I, I talk about this because I feel, um, I feel very passionate about how my own sin has affected not only how I feel, but also, uh, how I, how do I say, like how my relationship with God has played out over the years, because a lot of my, um, a lot of my time with God is praying kind of like Jill was talking about earlier is praying a lot of protection over my children because, my own poor choices, you know, I know could potentially play out in my children's lives. And so what I said in the previous episode is the same thing I'm saying today. I don't want anybody to think that Jill or myself are coming and recording this in a way that's uh, confrontational or, or harsh or without compassion or without a lot of love. This is coming 100% for me from a place of... I would never want anyone else to struggle. You know, I don't want to see this. And this is why I titled it, why I can't say congratulations, because I don't want to see friends of mine who I care about struggle in their marriages because they haven't made 
good and right choices from the start of their relationship. But if you're listening and you're past that point, what I want Jill to talk about to close us out here is how, if you, if you can acknowledge that you haven't necessarily made pure choices, you haven't necessarily done things that are, you know, within the will of, of God, as far as, you know, what that verse specifically lays out or, you know, what we know is right. How do you recover that? How do you backpedal to, to kind of restart? You know, what, what are the, what are our options when it comes to that? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is where the rules stop and the grace begins. Where the Lord in all of his graciousness, and again, we can't understand it because we don't have the mind of Christ, how he just lavishes that on us and cares about us enough. Because the goal for him is not for us to make right choices, but it's for us to be in relationship with him. And so he's going to do anything possible to reconcile his people. And I love that concept. I mean, he's, he doesn't want you, uh, Max Licato will say, um, God loves you exactly where you are, but he loves you too much to want you to stay there. And um, one of my favorite passages is Isaiah 61. And it's just this concept of replacing broken for whole and old for new and, um, it just says, you know, I'll bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I love this part. It says they will rebuild the ancient ruins that restore the places long devastated. And they will renew the renewed, they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion, and instead of their disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. And I love that because those ancient ruins that are long devastated, whether that is generational sin that you're a product of, you very well could be in the situation you're in because of generations before you who made poor choices sexually. Mm -hmm. And, And you are the product of ancient ruins, you know, and, and what's interesting is a lot of times when we start to dig into our family, we find out that's true because, you know, the generations of the fifties and sixties would never have done this, but there was stuff going on there that people weren't talking about. Right. So you could well be a product of that. And so you have to decide, am I going to rebuild this ancient ruin? Um, and that's, you know, that's the biblical concept, but practically, um, you can move out. Like, you can start over, and I feel like it would be the most difficult thing ever. And, and we have couples all the time that say, you know, oh, it's just not it's not financially. Um, it's, we just can't do it financially. It doesn't make sense, and everything's wrapped up together. You know, that's, that's one thing that a non-married couple needs to really evaluate. Do we need to have our finances all wrapped up together that I'm already dependent on you financially? What if one of you loses a job? Yeah. Then, you know, all of those things. You just have to be super careful intertwining things that don't need to be intertwined before you get married. Um, but um, if the Lord calls you to something, he will provide a way for you. Yes. I believe that. We just recently had a, Oh, this is what I was going to say. Um, sometimes in these premarital classes, we have couples that are truly devoted followers of Jesus. And they're living together. And I can always tell them because they're so uncomfortable and they have such a hard time with it. And they know that's not what they should be doing, but they're kind of stuck in this. And, um, uh, we had a couple one time and I'll never forget. We ended up with them by themselves one night, like all the other couples couldn't make it. And I knew that they loved the Lord. And, and I just said to them, I was like, help me understand your decision. And she said, just financially, neither of us can make it on our own. And I challenged them. Maybe the Lord would find a spot for you to live. Or, um, And if that's not possible, we just want to really encourage you that from now to your wedding, you decide to abstain. And um, so they each, you know, he moved out of the bedroom and went to a different bedroom. And we have had probably 10 couples that have decided to do that and um, if you're being married by one of our pastors, they kind of ask you to take this oath of purity. But we've probably had 10 couples that we know of that have decided to do this. And they've all come back to us and said, 
It was the best decision we could have made. Mm -hmm. Again, we didn't believe you that it would make a difference, Um, but it really did. And it gave us a fresh start. And we knew that we couldn't go back and erase all that had happened, but we could decide from here on out, we're going to do it the best that we know how to do. And, and that's what God calls us to do in any area of any area of our life is from here on out. I'm going to do my best to follow what you've set before me and not Mm -hmm. just for me, but for the generations to come. And, um, I believe that one of the greatest blessings in following the Lord is your, in your marriage is that, you know, the Bible sets up that marriage is a direct reflection of the love that God has for his church and for his people. And, you know, the, the church is called the bride of Christ and husbands are taught to love their, the, their wives as Christ loved the church. And I don't know that there's anything that stands out in today's society more than a healthy marriage. If you're in a break room and you're, you know, at work and you're listening to the ladies talk and there's very few women that have something positive to say about their husbands. There's very few husbands that will hold their wives in in high esteem. And one of the greatest blessings of really doing it the way from start to finish, not just the sexual part before you get married, but all the way through of obeying the Lord in your marriage is that it looks different and it truly can reflect the love that Jesus has for us. If we decide to do marriage start to finish the way God asked us to do it. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes this really cool blessing. I, I am not a perfect person. Listen, okay. I didn't have sex with marriage, but I got my own junk, right? I got my (laughs) own stuff. I have a loud mouth. I speak too often and too quickly. And, um, I get myself in trouble a lot. But over and over and over in the last 17 years of my marriage, it has stuck out to people that we have a healthy marriage. And, and uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with how we started out. But more of it has to do with what we've decided to do with it. Marriage is a choice. Your relationship is a choice. And, and you have control over how it plays out. Mm-hmm. You have control to change the trajectory of your marriage and your children's marriage and your children's children's marriage. And if you can just look at this big picture, you know, just get the snapshot over top and go, if I decide to make the right choices in my relationship today, could that mean that my children have a 50 year marriage that doesn't end in divorce? I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. I know that you would do anything to prevent your children from walking the road that you walked. Mm-hmm. Anything. Yep. And and even the stuff that Heath and I found ourselves in, I don't want my kids to repeat that stuff. They'll have their own crap. I mean, they'll have their own junk. Um, that's why we have a counseling fund for our children because <laughs> we figure it's our fault, so we should pay for it, right? Uh, but, like, it, there's just this way to do it, and you can choose to do it or you can choose not to, but there's going to be consequences either way. But the beauty of God is that his grace is sufficient and that, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all of that. And just to be able to walk in that and know that it's available is, I mean, to me, that's peace. Yep. I think too, just when you were saying, I know I'm going to wrap up here, but I just thought too, like not only, I mean, that's a motivation enough to know that, by making these choices, by doing things the right way, by following what God's will is for this relationship, either from the start or I'm going to backpedal and, and start today, whatever it would be, it's so that my children and their so 50, you know, they can have the blessing of me following. That's motivation enough. But also, you know, especially like you're saying for, for a couple who are believers and have a relationship with God, if you could say to them, hey, if you can can make these choices to do things the right way, in 10 years from now, your marriage is going to be healthy and strong and is going to point this person, this person, this person, this person to Jesus. Uh, and and yeah. how motivating would that be to know if, I, if we together as a couple can commit to living in purity and to, you know, whatever, whatever we need to do that's right and, and, and listening to God, then, then how could it play out for people in our lives who need to know Jesus and may look at our marriage and that's going to be how they, you know, how they come to God. So good. Yeah. Yeah. We're about to preach. So. 
<laughs> I just got saved. I just, I just got saved. I'm about to get baptized right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I go ahead. I just, I just feel like I, you know, just want to reiterate, this does not come from a place of judgment. Yes. At all from either of us. Like, no. but I such a proponent of marriage. I mean, we have taught this premarital thing for like nine years and every year, every season of teaching it is super hard and our schedules are crazy and getting to this and blah, 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 that when it ends, I'm always like, we can't do this again. But as soon as I step into that first class, I realize this is what I'm passionate about. Like I want people's marriages to work and I want at the end of the day for people to look back and be like, the choices we made have put us in a really good spot and God has helped us. And so this doesn't come from a place of judgment at all, but like truly just wanting Mm -hmm. people to start off on the right foot and to have the tools and the equipment that they need to be able, you know, just the knowledge that they need to be able to work through whatever comes their way. And I believe starting off sexually can change, you know, sexually correct or right or pure, whatever that looks like can can change the trajectory of your marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a... I had a, a, a friend of mine last week who um, is, you know, going through some marriage things herself. And through the grapevine, you know, I had heard that she said, why would I talk to Samantha? She had two divorces. She said, who is she to give me advice on my marriage? And I was like, that's fair. Um, However, if anything, and this is kind of the whole point of this podcast, if anything, I have made... All of these poor choices, which have, you know, essentially my son is 12. And so for the past 12, 13 years, I've made choices that were, you know, some, some of them I was, I, I were out, I feel like we're outside of my control and, 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 you know, other people, other factors were at play, but a lot of them were, was me. A lot of it was me trying to run my life and instead of allowing God to run it. And so, Yeah, I I haven't, I'm not in Jill's shoes. I don't have a 17-year strong, confident marriage. I have two failed marriages. However, I have made enough mistakes to know, like Jill was saying, is that I'm coming from a place of compassion to say, I know what I did that I shouldn't have done, and I know how it's affected me today, and I don't want to see, I want to see people, like Jill said, I have the same passion that Jill has to see my friends' marriages be successful, but coming from a different place. Um, uh-uh. Not because I'm not sitting here with a successful marriage and so I know how good it is. I'm sitting here with two failed marriages that I know how hard they were and so I don't want to see that for anybody else. I want to see people have... I have a one friend that she should tell you, I'm always like, how are you and your husband doing? I need y'all to be okay. <laughs> Right. I need, I need for y'all. And a lot of it is I need my kids to see healthy marriages because they've not seen them in my home. And so I have a vested interest in people in my lives, merit, like their marriages being healthy, but that's a whole separate, that's a whole separate issue. But anyway, I could tangent, I could carry on. So oh my gosh, yeah. yeah, anyway, I, you know what I would say? I know that this is a, the same as the previous episode that I posted. I know this is a touchy topic. I know this yeah. maybe can feel judgmental or feel confrontational or feel hurtful or any of those things. What I would say is, um, if you feel any of those things and want to talk about it, Jill and I both are available. If you feel like, if you're on the same boat as my friend and feel like Samantha is not exactly the marriage expert that I would, <laughs> that I would like to go to, I'm okay. My feelings are not hurt. I can get you connected with Jill and I know that she would be, you know, an excellent person to talk to and, and ask questions to in, in any, you know, along this topic and really anything. She's my go-to. She's like my Yoda, basically. <laughs> Yes. And you know what? Like, if you think we're wrong, then pray about it. Like, if we're wrong, the Lord will tell you what you need to do. Like, I, I'm I'm not above being wrong. Like, I could have all of this wrong. All I know is what I've read and what I've asked the Lord to show me in my own life. And, 
and I could have heard it wrong. I don't, I don't think that I have, mm-hmm. but I mean, so seek it out for yourself. Start asking people and, and don't ask the people that are making the same choices as you yes. ask, ask, other, you know, wise counsel and check in with people, marriages who've done it right. And what would you do differently? And do you think this, this changed the trajectory of your marriage? Ask pastors, ask, start asking around and see what people have healthy, thriving, working marriages mm-hmm. and see what they have to say and, you know, and discover it for yourself. Don't, you don't have to take my word for it. Is that reading rainbow? I think so. LeVar Burton, we love you. So good. Uh, so good. My kids were like, you know, reading rainbow, Clara was watching it. I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Um, yeah. all right. Well, I think we're wrapped up. We could carry on for okay. five more episodes. I know, but those were the, those were the high points that I wanted to make sure we came back on and kind of just provided, elaborated a little bit more on some detail around those, those issues. Um, but again, if you have any questions, if you want to argue about it, if you disagree, if you want to talk about it, you can always email me. It's dot me dot Sam dot podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, like I said, if you'd rather catch up with Jill, I can connect you up with her. No problem. She's got all kinds of time. She's a stay-at-home mom with no kids at home. So she's basically free, what, at what, seven, eight hours out of the day? Come on. Absolutely. (laughs) It's amazing. The best job in the movie, best life. Ever. Oh, so cool. Anyway, I really appreciate you, Jill. I know that I kind of defaulted to you. I probably could have maybe given a little bit more effort to... I mean, obviously, I know the verses. Like I told her, I was like, I know, like, what's right, and I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to need you to, like, step it up and be that person that (laughs) brings a little bit more detail, and I appreciate you doing that. So, anything else to wrap us up here? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. All right. I appreciate your time, and we will, I will, Jill will be back at some point down the road, but I will be back to talk to you all the next time. Bye.